0: Well, good morning. Welcome to our class this morning. We're going to be talking about finding your Goshen, which if you're not familiar with the story of uh, the Exodus recorded in the book of Exodus, um, you may not be familiar with Goshen. So we'll give you a little background on that as we talk about what can we learn about how to live today today. Uh, from what's happened in the past. So we begin this morning talking about the reality of judgment. Uh, We are in what Dennis Peacock calls the war between two seeds, or the war between two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of good versus the kingdom of evil. And this is uh, the Genesis 315 text, which is the judgment of God pronounced on the serpent for his role uh, in the fall of mankind. It says, I will put hostility or enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The reality of this war is all about us. Every day we get a chance to see it. And it's a reminder that there will be ultimately a final judgment, an end. So in the meantime, we need to be very clear that we see all kinds of Harbingers of the coming judgment. We have pandemics, we have social unrest, elitism, debased minds, sexual immorality. All of these are signs of the judgment to come. Now, you might say, how is sexual immorality a sign of judgment? Because there is a consequence for sexual immorality. Uh, in some cases, death. If if not just sexually transmitted diseases, they can't be cured. So there's all kinds of indicators that this final judgment is coming. And judgment is also manifested financially. There's financial waste, growing deficits and debt, risk of hyperinflation, all of these are further harbingers of the judgment to come. So we live in a world that is heading toward judgment rapidly and will have a lot of signs and indicators along the way. There's a lot of mini judgments, you could say. So how do you deal with these many judgments, you know, in preparation for the final judgment? Well, I think we get some clues by looking at history. So let's just take a look at how God delivered uh, the nation of Israel from what turned out to be judgment. When they moved to Egypt um, initially, in about the 18th century BC, it was for it was for protection. It was for salvation. They were on they were at the risk of dying because of a famine. But by the 14th century BC. Uh, things had changed. All the people that knew Joseph and all the people that knew about the Israelites and why they were there uh, were gone. And now the people didn't know them and they had just turned the, the Israelites into slaves for the Egyptians. So it, life became very difficult. It became very hard. And Pharaoh began to get very scared of these people. So he he increased, you know, the the stress that he put on them, he increased their, the demands that he made of them, and life just became very, very difficult. So God provided a way out. He provided protection for them. He, provi- he provided, you know, for them to be able to move out and live in a desert. He actually prospered them there, and he used that time to prepare them to move into the promised land. So this is how God works, what I call P4. P4 stands for provision, protection, prosperity, and preparation. This imagery of P4 can be applied to us today. We can apply it to the calamities and the challenges that we deal with today, and increasingly, we seem to be facing the potential for very severe calamities in our day. So let's just take that Goshen imagery, and let's read through a text like 2 Peter 3, which actually deals with the last times. Now, we don't know if we're in the last times, and we don't know if maybe the times we're in is just another interim judgment, or maybe this is leading up to the end time. We don't know that. But still, I think 2 Peter 3 clearly is relevant, and I think we'll see some connections with Second Peter 3 and what's going on today. So we'll read through this, and I'll, I'll make a few comments as I go along, but I'll just try to mainly read through it. So just pay, pay close attention to what Peter writes. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I want to stir you up your sincere understanding by way of reminder, so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires. I think you could argue that over the last, uh, since the early part of the 19th century, which is over 200 years ago now, that there has been scoffing going on. There's been skepticism, skepti- skepticism about the Bible, about the Christian meta narrative, about Christ, about eternal life, and of course about eternal judgment. So here's what these scoffers are saying Where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have since the beginning of creation. Now that is a principle that today we call the principle of uniformitarianism, and it is the principle that is behind the theory of evolution. The presumption is that things continue today like they always have, and there's been no cataclysmic events. Of course, if you believe the biblical narrative, you you raise your hand immediately and say, "Wait a minute! There was a great worldwide flood." So the pre- predicate of these scoffers di- basically does not allow for the biblical meta narrative they excluded a priori which means they don't even you know consider the possibility that's one of the errors they make uniformitarianism is a false presupposition because it is inconsistent with the biblical meta narrative reading on they deliberately overlooked this by the word of god the heavens came into being long ago and the earth was brought about from water through water you see we have a creation event the theory of evolution which is connected to this these scoffers uh, denies a creation event though these those uh, through those these things the world of that time perished when it was flooded by the same word that is the word of god the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire being kept that word kept is a word for guarded they're being guarded for the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. So God is working everything together toward this final judgment. And along the way, we're going to have many little indicators, many little judgments that we will experience. Some of them may be pretty harsh and difficult. Some of, some of us may lose our lives you know, in these judgments. But these are going to be nothing compared to the ultimate judgment. But they will be hard, and we need to know how to deal with these interim judgments. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. In other words, the forbearance of God, which is forbearing the final judgment and Allowing time to pass for God's purposes, don't be lulled to sleep and thinking God has changed his mind. He's not changed his mind. The judgment will come in his timing, in his way, you know, and when he's ready for it. Reading on. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The day of the Lord is another way to talk about the day of judgment. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. In other words, everything becomes transparent. There's nothing hidden. So the question then is, well, well, how do we we live in light of this coming judgment and the reality that we're probably going to have some mini-judgment days before then that could be very hard for us? So he tells us in verse 11. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. As you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming, because of that day the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth. Where righteousness dwells, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. And then we have kind of a command here. Be on your guard so that no one, that you are not led astray by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. So the way forward is a holy life based on growing and maturing in Christ. So I want to go back to Peter's first epistle. He said he'd written his two letters. Well, now this is, this we started reading out of the second one. We'll go back and read out of the first one and just take a look at what holy living, living looks like. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, in other words, start thinking, wake up, look around, be in the word, seek to understand what's going on from a Christian worldview, be sober-minded, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's very easy to want to check out. When you start looking at the cultural meltdown going on in the world today, it's easy to want to say, I just can't believe this is happening, and we go into denial. We cannot do that. We've got to be alert. We've got to wake up. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. It's very easy to live as a pagan. That's our default state. He said, don't do that. Don't think like you used to think. You have been born again. You've been regenerated. Start thinking as a regenerate person. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. In other words, we're supposed to be set apart to God, living holistically to serve his will and his ways in every area of life, in our families, in our personal lives, in our workplaces, in our Christian communities, in our societies, we should be the markers of what holiness looked like. We should be living holy lives because we belong to the holy God of the universe. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's works, you are to conduct yourselves... In reverence, that is fear. Phobos is the word there This translated reverence. Reverence is probably not a great translation. Uh, Phobos is, it, it refers, it, I think implies the fear of the Lord, which was always a recognition that God is God. Living under that reality that Jesus is Lord all the time in every circumstance and every jurisdiction, he's Lord. So conduct yourselves in the fear of the Lord during your time living as strangers or sojourners on this planet. So this is what we're called to do. We're not called to simply get a ticket to heaven so we don't spend eternity in hell. We are called to live out the reality of Christ in us to hope of glory. So using uh, my little template here of how you connect theology to results, or how you connect spiritual reality to physical reality, let me just walk you through what this what this is saying to us. We start on the left with the theology. The God of Christianity, as revealed in Scripture, is the only God. There is no other God. Allah is not God. Jehovah is not God. Buddha is not God. Hinduism, the Hindu is not God. There's no other God. There is only the God of the Bible. And that produces a philosophy that we know to be Christianity. It's a system of thinking about reality, a system of of how we live in this reality. And from that come values. The highest value you could say is love. And under that would be holy living. And under holy living is humility, submission, and teachability. You have to live before the Lord, humble, submitted, and teachable. The principles then that flow from these values are minds ready for action, clear thinking, and a life full of hope in Christ. Our hope is always in him. It's not in the tangible world. It's not what we see with our eyes or sense with our senses. It's not thinking like we did when we were pagans. It's thinking as Christians. Our hope is in Christ. And so our practices are not being conformed to the former evil desires. We are continually evaluating every thought and every action and anything that's not conforming to Christ and to a biblical standard, we want to kick it out. And we want to conform to a Christian standard of how we live and think about everything. And that leads to holy living in words and actions. So that's what we're called to do. Holiness is the standard. It's not up to us to do what we want to do. It's not up to us to seek pleasure and comfort and convenience. It's not up to us to think money is success, significance, satisfaction, and security. Money is none of those. Money is a temporal tool to be used to obey the will of God. Our time is a tool to be used to obey the will of God. Our treasure is a tool to be used to obey the will of God. Whatever technology God has granted you, it's a tool for you to use to obey the will of God. So holy living is the standard. So what might that look like in a culture that is increasingly dominated by the spirit of Antichrist, where everything in the culture wants to disconnect from Christ and the Bible? Well, let me give you a checklist of things that you could begin to do to find God's provision, his Goshen, his place where he's going to protect you His place where he's going to provide for you, where you're going to prosper, and where you're going to prepare. See, all of these things is what God did for the people of God many, many years ago when he delivered them from slavery and from bondage in Egypt and took them to the promised land. So I think we can look at that pattern and say, what's God going to do with his people in the years ahead as they face the problems of today's culture? So let's just take a quick look at this. So I'm going to just read through this. We don't have time to really explore these. So I encourage you, uh, as we read through these, make a note of anything that really jumps out at you, uh, that you really want to talk about. And when we get through with this teaching, we'll talk about it. So first, hope in the Lord based on a Christian worldview. That's one of the first things we have to do. If we're going to find Goshen, the Goshen that God has provided for us today, we've got to put our hope in him, trust him, that he will guide, he will guard, he will protect, he will direct. Secondly, remember God's purpose for hard times is always our sanctification. God is always using whatever's going on around us to purify us, to perfect us. We must be a disciple and become a discipler. This is holistic and interdependently. We can't just go do what we want to do. We find the communities we're part of. We be submitted to the men and women that God has put us under. Let them disciple us. And as we get infected with Christ, as we get purified, as we grow and mature, then we can become a disciple of others. And discipleship covers everything in life. There's nothing excluded. You can't exclude your personal life. You can't exclude your work life. You can't exclude your family life or the, or the society that you're in education, none of these things are excluded. Everything is included in discipleship. Engage in the process of finding your calling, your C4 calling. What has God created you to do? You have a work assignment from him that he wants you to engage with while you're here on planet Earth. So you need to be diligent about finding that work assignment and doing it. It's not about making money. It is about obedience to God. Steward your T4, your time, your talent, your treasure, the technology, all of these things God has given you to obey him and to live aligned with him. And you want to be aligned with the, you know, your view of S4. S4 is success, security, significance, and satisfaction. And that is not money. It's not defined by money. It's defined by obedience and alignment with God. You want to seek to be part of a self-sufficient, multi-generational Christian community. That is a P4 community. P4 stands for protection, provision, prosperity, and preparation. This is what God will do with us when we're in our Goshen. He will protect us. he He will provide for us. And in fact, we will even prosper there. And he will prepare us. Now, when, when I mention these terms, you have to know that we don't get to define any of them. So when I say prosperity, you probably jump to a worldly definition. You've got to kick that out. If from a Christian worldview, provision and prosperity are not different, I've included them separately in the P4 model for, for sake of emphasis. When you see God's provision, for example, his provision may be manna to eat. You need to know that, that we are prospering because he is protecting us, taking us where he wants us to go to accomplish his purpose in and through us. That is ultimate success. That's why we're prospering. So we've got to be very clear as we use these terms, who gets to define them? And God is the only one that can define them. Provision or protection, provision, prosperity, and preparation. That's P4. The next one, develop a safety plan. In other words, you need to pay attention to how to keep your family and not only your your biological family, but your spiritual family, how to keep them safe. Now, you don't have responsibility for everyone, but you have responsibility for some. So whoever God gives you responsibility for authority over, you want to include them in your plan, your safety plan. There needs to be a physical safety plan where you're physically safe. There needs to be an education plan where we can educate each other and our children in Christian thinking. Increasingly, you have to realize that the public schools are given over to the spirit of Antichrist, private schools are going the same way, and even homeschool co ops are not necessarily sound. You've got to be very vigilant about finding the right education. You've got to have rest and refreshment. You know, that's part of safety is to be able to recharge, to have Sabbath rest. And you need to know survival skills. If you get into a rugged environment, how do you survive without all the conveniences that you're used to? We're all used to having electricity at our fingertips and going to the store to get whatever food we need. Well, what if we can't do that anymore? We have to have a way to survive, you know, differently. And that's going to take some training. Reduce and, if possible, eliminate debt. Debt is not your friend. Debt is bondage. As much as you can, eliminate debt. Don't hear this as putting you under a yoke of bondage. If you're deep, deep in debt, Ask the Lord for grace for a plan. How do you gradually get out of the debt? And God is faithful and gracious as you truly repent, which means change how you think about this, and you turn to him in humbleness and submission and teachability. He will show you the way out of the debt. But you've got to be committed to getting out of debt. That has to be a priority. Invest in people and organizations who are humble, submitted, and teachable. Look for the people that God is working with. Don't be distracted with, pe- with people that you like or people that you think you want to you emulate. Look for people who are really reflecting Christ in them. And sometimes they're probably going to be people you're not necessarily going to like. You know, whether you like them or not is not the standard. The standard is, are they living, obedient to the will and ways of God? Are they humble, submitted, and teachable? Those are the people that I want to connect with, and I want to help support. Become a merchant banker. We we talked about that in a prior teaching. Merchant bankers are all about helping people align with the will and ways of God. You know, helping disciple people. You know, into alignment, and then funding them. You know, as appropriate to do what God's called them to do. So merchant bankers will use biblical principles to do what they do. And I'm talking about a biblical merchant banker, not a worldly merchant banker. There are, there are people that today that claim to be merchant bankers, but they're not biblically oriented. This is biblical merchant bankers that I'm talking about who will use biblical principles to guide them in how they help people align with God and how they support the call of God financially and others. Store up financial reserves and commodities as a hedge against inflation. And store preserves of food, medicine, energy, and other necessities. We always need stores. In the house of the wise are stores of choice, food, and oil, says the Proverbs. So we want to be wise. We want to prepare. We want to be part of a community. We want to be engaged you know, in finding where God is going to protect us where he will provide for us, where we will prosper, and where we can prepare. The preparation is preparing for when everything falls apart. If what we're going through or what you're going through at any point in time is not leading to the ultimate judgment immediately, then whatever little mini-judgment you're in will probably pass. When it passes and it falls apart, because rebellion against God never ultimately gets blessed, it will all fall apart. So when it falls apart, you need people prepared who can rebuild the community based on Christian values. That's what the preparation is for. You want to prepare by taking the gospel message, keeping it sound, passing it on generation to generation until the Holy Spirit signals the end of the rebellion that you happen to be in, the little mini-judgment, And then, you know, you have people prepared to step up and say, we know how to build a culture according to a biblical worldview that will bring blessing to everyone involved. So this is uh, finding your Goshen. May the Lord give us all grace to step into these uncomfortable places, dealing with these many judgments, knowing that ultimately there will be a final judgment. All rebellion will be snuffed out forever. But in the meantime, we will have Many, many examples of these many judgments in various settings all over the world, and we have to learn how to find God's Goshen for us anytime we are facing one of these these judgments. So may the Lord give us grace to face these well and to find God's Goshen for us that we may be protected and we may be provided for and we may prosper and we may prepare for when kingdom order will be reestablished on earth. So may we have grace for this in Jesus' name. Amen.